As we begin December, we do so taking a look at the reason for Jesus coming to earth. Next on Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. Welcome. This is Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. Today, we begin a series simply entitled, Why Jesus Came. As we move into the Christmas season, it's good to be reminded of why the God of this universe would show up as a baby in a manger. We begin in Luke 19 and verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. There, in a nutshell, is what we're focused on. Join us for today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. Here's Pastor Steve Converse. Well, this morning, I want you to turn your hearts to Luke chapter 19. And this is a story that we're all probably very, very familiar with. Uh, it's a story of a small little man, a tax collector named Zacchaeus. And he climbed into the tree as you know, to see Jesus. And um, Jesus actually went to his home and uh, brought salvation to that household, the Bible says. It's a very familiar Sunday school story, and a lot of us are very familiar with it, but I pray that uh, with Christmas on the way, I want to speak to you why Jesus came. Why did Jesus come to this earth. And so follow along as we read from our Bibles there in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. It says, speaking of Jesus, he entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature So he ran ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and he came down and he received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of all of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I'm going to restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. And then verse 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Wonderful text of scripture. So much more than just a little Sunday school story. Um, And this morning we want to kind of look into this. I think today as you approach Christmas day and Christmas season, we see in news, we see in magazines, pictures of Jesus, pictures of the nativity. And a lot of people ask the question, why did Jesus come to earth? See, is it not enough just to know who Jesus is? I mean, most people know who Jesus is. If you ask the common person on the street who is Jesus, they would be able to tell you some sort of story about Jesus. 
by and large, by and large, the world knows what Christians believe about Jesus. We've made that pretty plain. But the world wants to know this. Why did he come? And who cares? What's the difference? And a lot of people try to answer that question in a very uh, sordid kind of way. Some argue that Jesus came to give us an example of God's love. Others say that he came to be this perfect man, this God-man, the one shining example that can lift some of us up out of our muck and mire. If you ask a lot of people, they'll say, you know what, he was the greatest teacher of all time. Some others believe that he came to start some new religion. But Jesus himself, from the very lips of our Savior, we see here in verse 10, he tells us why he came. We don't have to wonder, we don't have to guess. It's a very familiar passage to us, Luke 19.10. And in one simple sentence, we have the, the most basic statement about the mission of Jesus Christ. It says in verse 10, For the Son of Man, this is Jesus speaking, came to seek and to save the lost. Now, here is Zacchaeus, this tax collector. And this verse summarizes for him the mission of our Lord. The very reason why he came. I mean, if you stop and think about this, God actually created everything we see around us, the universe. Then he created the earth. And then on the earth, he created the human race, you and I. And out of the human race, he wants to seek and to save lost sinners. That's his own everlasting joy and glory. That's what it's all about. So what's going on on earth right now can be kind of disconcerting at times. You read the newspaper, you hear about terrorism, you hear about shootings, you hear about all this stuff. It's true that all this should be a concern to us. But don't think for one second that God has lost control. He hasn't. He's in perfect control. And he's working all these things together for his purpose and his plan. Now, when you think about creation, you think about the handiwork of God, you think about beautiful scenery, whether it's the Grand Canyon or the Tetons or Lake Tahoe, the Sierras, whatever it might be, the beach. And you step back and you go, wow, what a wonderful God to make all this for us. And it truly does collectively manifest his power and his glory and the glory of the whole Godhead. But the reason for all of that is not just to put God on display. That's not just the reason. He just didn't say, oh, you know what, I want to show off to everybody. <laughs> I'm going to create all this stuff so they can sit back and go, wow, you're just an incredible God. He did so that he might rescue a group of sinners who would gather around him in heaven one day for his glory. See, you have to understand, he could never be worshipped for his mercy. He could never be worshipped for his compassion. He could never even be worshipped for his sympathy and his forgiveness and his grace and even his salvation. If he had not allowed somehow this thing to develop the way it did. Sin was allowed to take place so that all of the issues surrounding our salvation could come to one ultimate glorifying praise to him. Why is the universe here? Why are we here on earth? The answer is so that God might for his own eternal joy and glory seek and to save lost sinners. That's what Jesus himself said. And it helps us keep things in perspective. I mean, I understand the concern with all these 
refugees coming to America who haven't been vetted and all that. It's obviously a security risk. But you know what? God has a plan. And if we can't take the gospel to them, maybe they'll bring, maybe he's bringing them to us. I don't know. But it's being allowed to happen. And we have to look at this through spiritual eyes. See, it's the nature of God to save, beloved. That's the nature of our God. In the New Testament, God is called our Savior. God, our Savior, over and over and over again, is repeated. Particularly in Paul's letters to Timothy and to Titus. In John chapter 4, verse 42, it says there, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is Indeed, speaking of Jesus, the Savior of the world. That Jesus Christ is the Savior. 1 Timothy 4.10, Paul writes, he says, For the, To this end we toil, we strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. God is the Savior of all men. There is no other Savior. If you're going to be saved, you have to come through Christ. He's not only the Savior spiritually and eternally to those who believe, that verse says, but he's also the Savior physically. He's the Savior temporarily, even to those who don't believe. The fact that sinners, as soon as they sin, don't just get zapped and go to hell is a gracious thing on the hand of God. He allows them to live out their life here on earth. He would be totally righteous in just sending them to glory right there. Sending them to the other side. I shouldn't say glory because the sinner doesn't go to glory. They go to hell. But he doesn't do that. He practices what we call common grace. He delivers that sinner even temporarily and physically from all the immediate consequences of their sin. God sets aside his holy wrath, his judgment, and his righteous vengeance in order to demonstrate his tolerance and his patience. Which is manifested through his mercy and grace. I understand times are hard. And boy, I hear Christians all the time. Boy, I just wish Jesus would come back. I find myself saying that at times. But then again, I stop and say, wait a minute. I know some people who aren't believers yet. I know some people that still need to hear the gospel. See, we can't get so comfortable in our elective Calvinistic theology that we just sit back and say, well, God's going to work everything out. It's none of our business. Don't worry about it. No. He tells us to go out into a lost and dying world and share the gospel so that those whom he has chosen, when they hear it, they will be saved. So God is by nature, beloved, a savior. And that's why he came. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul writes, All things are from God who has reconciled us. In other words, he's brought us back. And we have the ministry of reconciliation of, of, as believers. We go out into a lost and dying world and we share the gospel. Hopefully that some would believe and be reconciled to the creator. Throughout the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah and other places, Isaiah 45 especially, over and over we hear God of Israel, the Savior. It's not just a New Testament thing. It's found throughout the Bible. By nature, God is a saving God. And God sent Jesus Christ, his only son, into this world, as it says in verse 10 there, to what? To seek, to save that which is lost. Well, this story of Zacchaeus is kind of interesting because before we get to verse 10, you've got to at least give a little perspective. And so let's look, first of all, at the sinner, Zacchaeus himself. He's the one who's lost in this case. His name is Zacchaeus. He lives in a town called Jericho. 
And back then, it was a very well-known place. It was economically strong, socially strong, a lot of things going on. If you go over there today, there's nothing there, basically. It's just a wasteland. But it tells us that it was a notable place in Scripture during that time. And he was the, what you might call the chief tax collector. He doesn't, wasn't a tax collector like Matthew. He was like Matthew's boss. <laughs> okay, he had several tax collectors under him. He kind of had a franchise on tax collecting. And he probably scrimped and saved and staved up enough for this little franchise and said, okay, you know what, I'm going to start hire people to go out and to take money from my fellow Jews by order of the Roman government. And you know what? I'm going to basically give Rome what they, what they deserve. And a tax collector wasn't known as someone who was honest. So if the tax was 10%, he probably charged 15 And they had to pay it because he was a tax collector. He would take the 10 give it to Rome, and take the 5 and put it in his pocket. So he was a very wealthy man, the Bible says. And probably part of his wealth was done by a legitimate business. But also tax collectors were known for their just illegitimate behavior. They were constantly trying to get more money from the people than even the Roman government wanted because that's how they got paid. And by these means, he became very rich. But at the same time, you can only imagine the Jews didn't like to be taxed by the Roman people. And here's one of their brethren, Zacchaeus, taking their money for a government that they felt they were under the thumb of. Can you sense a little bit of resentment there? They didn't really care for Zacchaeus or any tax collector, especially someone who became wealthy on doing something that they thought shouldn't have been done. So he was very rich. He was also very despised in the community. It's kind of like the, the election that's going on now, even among the Republican Party. You see people rising to the top who have no background in politics. Why? Because people are sick of politicians. Right? They're just sick. You know, I mean, I think you could have Mickey Mouse running for president. If he wasn't a politician, he'd probably get elected. I mean, that's really at the point where we're at. And so politicians are despised today. Well, it's the same thing for a tax collector. Even worse, they were considered a traitor. They couldn't go to the synagogue and worship, so they were closed away from their religion. They couldn't interact with other people because nobody wanted to be around them. Anybody who would welcome Zacchaeus into their home would be shunned by everybody. It'd be like dealing with a traitor. He couldn't have fellowship. He couldn't eat a meal. He was totally isolated from his countrymen, basically surrounded by a bunch of thugs who probably protected him because he probably needed protection. That's the kind of guy he was. He was a man and he was a sinner. It's funny how we look at our Lord and we think of how holy he was and how perfect he was, and yet so much of his time here on earth were spent with people like Zacchaeus. Luke chapter 7, verse 34 The people of Jesus' day called him the friend of tax collectors and sinners. In Luke chapter 5, it tells us that Jesus came not to call the righteous, but to call sinners to what? To repentance. It was this righteous, self-righteous people of Jesus' day who wanted nothing to do with Jesus. They thought, we don't want to hear this man. They wouldn't listen to his message. Who listened to his message? It was the, the down and outers. It was the people on the low side of the totem pole, the social outcasts. They listened to him because they had nowhere else to go. They were forsaken. Back in chapter 18, if you look through there, you see Jesus healing two blind beggars. I mean, there was something about 
their culture in the day, if you saw somebody who was blind, they were deemed unclean. Because why else would God make them blind? That's what was their thinking was. Their thinking back then was, if you get sick, you did something wrong. And here's Jesus reached out, he healed, and he saved these two blind beggars. So the sentiment in the people's day of Jesus' time were already kind of against him. They were already turning against him, even despite his miracles. They said, man, who would associate with these kind of people? And just so you understand, the tax collectors were underneath the beggars, (laughs) as far as the social class. They were even lower than the beggars. They were worse off. So here comes Jesus into this respectable town, saves three people, three people who were at the bottom of the social ladder, the scum of society. Apostle Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, he says this, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Verse 27 says, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. See, when God reaches out and he saves people, he's always reaching out to those who are sinners. He's always reaching out to the outcast, to the lowly people, the destitute, in desperation, in isolation, feeling alienated from society. Well, this tax collector, Zacchaeus, this sinner, was one of those. He had lots of money. He had lots of power. But we see here... In verse 2, there was a problem. He was rich. He was a tax collector. He wanted, in verse 3, it says, to seek Jesus, see who he was. But on the account of the crowd, he could not because he was small stature. I don't know how small Zacchaeus was, but he must have been pretty small. Because Jews, basically, in general, are not big people. They're not tall. And he was probably shorter than most Now remember, it's Passover season. There's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of traffic going on. There's a lot of crowds going on. Jesus, there's just throngs of people around him. And for whatever reason, this man had a curiosity about Christ. He wanted to see, it says, who Jesus was. But he couldn't. He was on the wrong side of the equation. Big crowd, small man. Just doesn't work out. So he put his intellect to work. And it says in verse Four, that he ran ahead. He knew where they would go. There's probably one main thoroughfare through Jericho. And so as they're going down there, he couldn't see. You can see him kind of hopping over the crowd, the hedge, you know, in the back. And Now think about it. This is a tax collector. Most of these people don't like these guys. So if he's in a crowd of people, he's a small little man, and he's despised by everybody. You can just imagine him in the back of the crowd. Hey, can I see, you know, oh, Zacchaeus, you know, oh, oh, you know, he's trying to, he's trying to work his way through the crowd. You know, they're elbowing him and kicking him, pushing him out of the way, you know, go home, you traitor. They didn't want him there. So after a while, he realizes, you know what, this isn't going to work out. I'm not going to be able to see this Jesus that they're talking about. So he figures, you know what, I know where they're going to go. They're going to go down here around, go around the corner. So he ran down the street, found a nice sycamore tree, it says. He climbed up in the sycamore tree. 
And these trees over there, they kind of go up and they branch out kind of like a small oak tree, you might say. And so maybe the branches were hanging over the street. Big tree. Little man. Good combination. He scoots right up there, hiding probably back in the, the foliage a little bit. I mean, can you imagine yourself doing that? Think we have a, if we had a parade down in Redwood City and you couldn't see the parade. I mean, would you as a grown man who owns a business go down the street and climb up in the tree and hang out over the parade? When they, I mean, think, people are looking at you. What's this fool doing? That's not a, a real good thing to do if you want respect by people. And yet that's exactly what he did. Because he knew Jesus was about to pass by. So he kind of had to humiliate himself. This dignified, rich, wealthy tax collector had to lose all sense of decorum, all sense of dignity and honor. And here he is sitting over this parade that's following Jesus about to pass by up in this tree, hiding back in the leaves, hoping probably nobody sees him. Well, that's the sinner. But look at what happens next in the story. We meet the Savior. In verse 5, it says, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up. I mean, think about it. You know, I don't know about you, but I don't like to be the center of attention, which is kind of weird because what I do, but I, I don't like to be the center of attention. And I can just imagine Zacchaeus hanging out up in this tree with all the foliage around him, and he's kind of hiding back, and he's, Jesus is coming down the street with all these thousands of people around him. And he's thinking, ah, this is going to work great. And the procession's going, and all of a sudden, Jesus stops. Hey, <laughs> what are you doing up there? Wow. He not only just stopped and looked up, but he actually spoke to Zacchaeus. He spoke to him. Listen what he says. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Jesus shows up. The Savior shows up. He reaches this place, and it says that he looks up, he says to Zacchaeus, I mean, think about it. Zacchaeus never met Jesus, right? He never met him. He was just there to kind of observe. And all of a sudden, here comes Jesus down the street. He looks up. He says, hey, Zacchaeus. (laughs) Wouldn't that be shocking? If you just ran into somebody and they walk up to you, hey, Steve Converse, how you doing? Do I know you? No. (laughs) Wow. Who told you my name? That would just be shocking. Never met Jesus, a perfect stranger. And yet the Lord knew his name. And some people say, well, he probably knew his name because he was a tax collector, well-known. And he knew his name because he was God. I mean, it's kind of common sense. You don't have to explain this away, right? He made contact with him. He called him by name. And I don't know what Zacchaeus was thinking at this point, but he probably thought, man, this is an interesting situation. I came here to see Jesus. Now he's talking to me. He says, hurry and come down for today. I must stay at your house. It's interesting because when you look at the original language here, there's a lot of imperatives here. First, Jesus says, I must. I mean, which we may think is kind of rude. But this is Jesus you're talking about. He didn't say, hey, Zacchaeus, you mind if I come over for dinner? No, he said, you know what? Zacchaeus, get down here. I'm coming to your house for dinner. He didn't give him an option. It's necessary. Well, why was it necessary? Why did Jesus invite himself? Why did he say, I must come to your house? Because it's a divine, sovereign plan that's being carried out. It's divine timing. He says, I must stay at your house today. Not tomorrow, not yesterday, today, right now. Behold, Zacchaeus, today is the day of salvation. (laughs) 
Well, thank you for spending time with us here today on Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We meet at 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. Directions are on our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, simply call 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. And again, we'd love to have you join us for worship. Simply call for directions or go to our website, gracefultruth.org. While you're at our website, make sure to check out the resource materials available from us here at Graceful Truth, including past programs of Graceful Truth that you can download for free. Gracefultruth.org is where to go. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue. That's 2225 Euclid Avenue. We're here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. And again, our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We thank you for spending time with us today and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.